Also, if you have a Bible, turn to Psalm 1. I've already given you a tip on that one, so you can get your Bible open to that, Psalm 1. And start off a question, are you happy? Are you happy? And uh, judging by the most uh, looks on y'all's faces, you're not happy this morning, all right? But okay, there's a few. All right, now I got a couple smiles. Uh, But we live in a country uh, that built itself around these inalienable rights, right? Life, liberty, and the... Pursuit of happiness, that's right. And so when you look and ask the question this morning, how is your pursuit of happiness going? How do you think the pursuit of happiness is going uh, with the majority of our country? I, uh, I think if we all agree, we can look to our world today and to our culture and to our country and say there are many people who are not happy, right? Uh, young or old or somewhere in between. And it's amazing how the older you get, the, the, the higher your threshold goes for old, you know, like, and the in-between. Like, when I was younger, I thought 40 was old, you know. And now I'm thinking 40 just, that's not even middle-aged yet, you know. But uh, anyhow, it always grows away. So if you're old or young or anywhere in between, you just see there's not a whole lot of happiness. And there are many in the pursuit of happiness, but not many people seem to find it. And not many who find it keep it very long, right? Because it fades away quickly. It's something that people have and it comes and it goes. But Psalm 1 begins with a proclamation. Blessed is the man. Uh, some of your translations may be happy, uh, but the word blessed here is just a little different from what we understand happiness or the emotion of happiness. It's a deep-rooted word. It means something that's much different than uh, just what we think in the world as happiness or happenstances. And that's the type of thing we want for our lives is this, this blessedness or this understanding of happiness. The emotion of happiness will come and go, Right? Uh, gas prices go down, we're happy, right? Gas prices go up, you're not happy, right? Uh, you get a new car, you're extremely happy, right? You get the first payment, not so happy, right? Uh, you go to a restaurant, have a nice meal, extremely happy. You realize and see, uh, discover a hair in your food, not so happy, right? You find the love of your life and you're so happy, you get married and you're Super happy. I got you on that one, didn't I? Yeah, I did. I sure did. And Dustin missed a good chance to say amen really loud right there, too. Uh, Newly married, but uh, he'll learn through the process. But blessed is not an emotion, right? This blessed that Psalm is talking about is not something that comes and goes. It carries a weight with it. It's much deeper than something that happens to you. It's much deeper than just an emotion that may go up or down. It's completely satisfied in your soul. Uh, down in your heart, where you are when you lay your head down at night to go to sleep, down in your soul, down in your spirit, do you have this joy and peace and blessing, a bless, uh, in, uh, this blessedness in your heart? Not transitory, not temporary, not based on what happened that day or what may not happen that day, but an anchor that goes into uh, the Word of God and the God's uh, holiness and righteousness, and it holds, regardless of what happens or where it comes from, a deeply satisfied uh, soul in your heart. You know, when my kids were babies, they basically did three things. They would eat, they would sleep, and they would poop, right? It seemed like we were always doing one of those three things. And uh, come think of it, not much has changed <laughs> over the years, all right? Uh, and I basically remember uh, that, that time in my life where I was always um, grateful when they would be crying or fussing, 
and you were able to give them a bottle. And in that bottle, they'd have Similac, a formula, or whatever. And by the way, that stuff was nasty, right? You ever tasted that stuff? I, I, they would eat it so much, I thought, man, that must be good. And tried a little bit, and I was like, oh, man, that's nasty. And I really thought it was nasty. One time when I was playing with uh, Tucker in the bed, and I was throwing him up and down, and Aaron goes, do not do that. I was like, it's fun. I went, whoa. And when I went, whoa, with my mouth open, he just spit it up. And when it spit up, it came right down into my mouth. And I was like... Oh boy, not just Similac's nasty, but regurgitated Similac is really nasty, all right? And I was thinking, but as they would eat that bottle, they would be so upset, and the world would be so rocked, and they'd be so uh, crying and fussing, and yet you get that bottle in their mouth, and all of a sudden they begin to down that bottle, and before they get to that bottle, or to the end of that bottle, the hope would be that they would go to sleep, and most of the time they would, and as they would go to sleep, they would push that bottle out of their mouth, and literally their bottom lip would come out like that, be a little bit of milk around it. Perfect sleep, right? I mean, completely at peace, completely satisfied. I mean, they were full, they were safe, they were in the arms of their loving father or their loving parent. I mean, completely satisfied. That's what this word means. This word means in the arms of God, completely satisfied with his provision in your life. And Psalm says you can have a life like that. You can have a life that's so complete in God that you can have a life in the arms of a loving God to know you're at complete peace and you have joy and you have this satisfaction in your soul to know this is God's plan for you. This is God's will for your life and you can be completely resting in who God is and his will for your life. And Psalm 1 contains specs for that. It contains a blueprint. Now, when you get a blueprint to construct something or to build something, it has certain specifications in it, right? And as you build that, you begin to have these specs. And it says, use this type of wood, use this size of wood, use this type of concrete, pour this uh, PSI of concrete, or use this type of wire. And if you follow the blueprint, when it's done, it's a beautiful building that serves its purpose that you built it for. And, but if you are a builder or a contractor and you decide to say, you know what, I'm not so sure about that spec. Instead of a 12-2 wire, maybe I'll just use my own type of wire, a 14-2 wire, and your lights will begin to blink in your house or every time you flush the toilet, the lights blink or go on, right? Or if you decide, you know what, that, kind of, that 3,000 PSI concrete's expensive. Maybe I should use 2,000 PSI. And as you pour that concrete, all of a sudden you get a crack and your house begins to fall apart. And you look at it and say, what happened to my house? What happened to this, this project that we're building? Well, you didn't follow the blueprint. And when you don't follow the blueprint, then you don't get to have the satisfaction or the complete peace knowing you built it to the specs that someone had spec for it. Same with your life. Well, Psalm 1 is specs for your life. And when you build your life on these specs, you know all is well and you can live this blessed life. You can have this life. And so Psalm 1, I'm going to read all uh, six of its verses here, and I want to go back and take a look at it. It says this, as we talked about blessed already, it says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night." He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but they are like chaff 
which, is, which the wind drives away. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. You know, when you think about this, is not God's word incredible? Now, I've preached through this uh, psalm a couple times in the 15 years that I've been pastor. And yet, every time I read it, every time I study God's word, there's some sort of treasure in it, you know? And every time you hear it, it's like, wow, that is true. God's word is so true. And as we dig into this psalm, we realize this blueprint, we must consider the ungodly. Uh, God pulls back the veil here. He pulls back the understanding of saying there's only two types of people in this world. And verse 4 begins with the contrast to the, to the blessed person. He says, the ungodly are not so, so. And so he doesn't say there are 10 types of people in this world. He doesn't say there's five types of people in this world. He comes and he says there's two types of people. Those who follow God and those who reject God. And the ungodly are those who reject God. And I guess it brings us to a crossroad, not just here in Psalm 1, but through the rest of the Bible as well, that you will hear things about the godly and you will hear things about the ungodly. You will hear things about the righteous and the unrighteous. You will hear things about the saved and the lost. You will hear people uh, think about those who are in relationship with God and those who are not in relationship with God. And the Bible draws this clear line because there's no gray areas in this. There's no, there's no point to saying, here's five types of people or four types of people. No, he says, here's the world and the way of the world. And then here's God's child. And here's the way that God has. And so alone, uh, apart from God, you are the ungodly. And he said, this is the crossroad you must look in your life. Have, do you know God and want to pursue his will for your life? Or have you rejected God and you are the ungodly? And for us this morning, as we consider that, it's a great question to ask us. Am I pursuing God or am I rejecting God in my life? You can't be anywhere in between. It's either one way or the other way. And he begins by saying, if you've rejected God's will for your life, you're the ungodly because you are those who have turned your life away from God. And Psalm 1 describes that and what your life will look like and what your life will come to the conclusion of. The first thing he describes the ungodly, he says, your life, your life is like chaff. Now, for some of you may not know what chaff is, but chaff is something that uh, they would use uh, that was in part of uh, gathering the grain and the wheat, and they would get down on a threshing floor, and they would take this uh, wheat, and it had, it had substance to it. It was a value, and it had some weight, but yet like pieces of the stalk and pieces of trash would get mixed in with it. And so they would take and put it in this big, uh, they put it in this little uh, sheet or whatever else they had, and what they would do is they would throw it up into the air, and the wind would catch it, and would blow all the trash away, and then all the wheat and the grain would fall back down to the bottom. And they would continually do that, and until all the chaff was, drawn, uh, was blown away. And so what he's saying here is that those who do not know God, that do not follow His will, they're like chaff being blown in the wind. And, and I suppose when you think about it, that this is the way it's so gripping to me because people think their life has so much meaning and value until the wind comes along and it just blows it away. And the world tries to tell you that you have so much meaning and purpose apart from God. But what we realize, the Bible teaches us without the purpose of God in your life, it's just like chaff. It's just like being blown away in the wind. You know, this past Thursday night, I had the chance to go to the Florida State Prison. And calm down, it was just a chaplain, all right? I didn't go to the Florida State Prison. I was just, I went there as a chaplain. And uh, one of the gentlemen I got to talk to there was 56 years old. 
And uh, he was 56 years old, and he was going to be getting out soon. And they're all just about to get out soon. But anyways, he said he was about to get out soon. And uh, he said he'd been in and out of prison for 25 years. And uh, that was more than half of his adult, or around the half of his adult life, or more than half of his adult life. And he said what he's learned and what he, most, what he realizes in prison now at his age at 56 years old is that all the things that he pursued outside of prison really don't matter. Like he thought having the nice truck or impressing his family or selling drugs to be able to purchase a new home or all these things that he thought mattered in life and the way that he got them, it really didn't matter as long as he could just get those things. And he realized that when he would go into prison, he would lose his truck, he would lose his house, he would lose all those things, but everyone else's life just carry on. Like his girlfriends went on, and his kids went on, and his family went on, and his job went on, but yet he was stuck in prison. And he realized everything that he was pursuing in life was like chaff in the wind. But now he's 56 years old. And he said, if I could say anything to people to say, realize only what you do for God makes a difference. Because if you're not living for God and you're pursuing the things of the world, it's like chaff in the wind. I mean, it's like gone. It's like you put all this meaning and purpose into something and it really just doesn't matter. And Psalm says, your life, if you pursue it outside of God, is like chaff. Number two, it says you shall not stand in the judgment. Now, for us, as, as we look to this, we realize, what is this talking about? Well, in judgment, you stand before someone means you are justified or righteous before them, and you bow before someone when you realize that, you do not, that you're not worthy or you should not be in that place or that you have a sentence or a judgment that was part of who you are. And he says here that you will not stand in the judgment. The Bible makes it clear you are appointed to live and you're appointed to die. And after that comes the judgment. And we all will stand before God. And when you look to the world, it says, don't worry about the judgment. Don't worry about God. You're going to be fine. And many people even now say, don't worry about God. When you get there, you can tell him all the things he did wrong in your life. But, but the psalm is saying, that, hey, this is crazy. Like, you will not stand before God in the judgment that God is holy and He is righteous and He is far above all that we could ever imagine. And when we reject God, we will not stand before the Lord. You will not stand before Him to tell Him or put Him in His place. It doesn't happen that way. And so he says, your life is like chaff. You will not stand in the judgment. And number three, he says, you will not uh, be in the congregation of the, uh, of the righteous. So he now says, for your life and for the eternity, you will not be anywhere with the goodness of God or the presence of God. Where you will be will be no honest person. There will be no peaceful person. There will be no love. There will be, no, there will be nothing. You will be separated from God and everything good. Imagine that. To never be around anyone who loves God or has the principles of God, but yet you are eternally in the presence of evil for eternity. Now, as you think about this, you think about your life and you think about how important it is for us to really consider this. And even as a pastor uh, that I rode with to go up to the Florida State Prison, and you realize when you go up to this Florida State Prison, just like he said, it's like like almost a, a cloud of evilness over it. Because in that place, you know there are people who's murdered uh, several people. And there are people who are, have life sentences and people who are on death row and people who, will, who have all this evil inside of them and all these things that's eaten up their life. And when you go to that place, you realize as you begin to walk through the gates... Like there was eight gates just to get into the hallway to where you can go down to where the actual prisoners were. And as each gate would close behind you, you realize there is no way I would ever be able to get out of this place. There's no way. 
And yet when you leave that place, you hear those eight gates open up and you think, wow, another step to freedom, another step to freedom, another step to freedom. And when you get out of that place, you feel like you've just been pulled out of something like, you know, just something out of evil. But then as I, as I thought about this and I thought about this scripture, it struck me. What about the person that goes in that place knowing they're never going to go out of that place alive? I mean, what kind of hope does that person have? What kind of peace does that person have being surrounded by nothing but evil 24 hours a day? And then I thought, not just in this, not just in this life, but imagine being a place like that for eternity. To know that you would be in an eternity with never any goodness or never sitting by a person who has goodness or value, even in God's presence. And he said, that's the ungodly. They, they will be in a place where there's no goodness and no congregation of the righteous and you shall perish. That's the fourth thing. Those are the four things he lists. Perish means to expire, means to come to a physical death and to expire as in a spiritual death. Now, I don't know about you, but none of those things appeal to me, right? I mean, when you can pull the veil back and you can see what does that appeal to you or to me, I mean, absolutely nothing. But this psalm tells us that's what life without God is. And no matter how the world packages it, it's not good. I mean, no matter how the world tries to sell it and tries to say how good it looks or how much you should want this in your life, you realize the path that you consider when you reject God, it's not worth it. It's not worth it here in this life, and it's certainly not worth it in the life to come. And you say, well, what is it so special about serving God? What is it so special about living for the Lord? Let me tell you, it's worth it. Let me tell you why it's worth it. This psalm goes on to tell you that we don't have to live like the ungodly. That praise God, there's an option that we have when we trust in Jesus Christ as our Savior and we have a relationship with God. We have a radically different life. Not only do we have a radically different life, we have a radically different future. And we don't have to live in despair. and We don't have to live in pain. We don't have to live in distress. But we can have a peace and a joy to know that God is with us and we can have a blessed life. We can have a life complete in God. And he says, and he begins with this blessed life. He says, here's the difference. Here's the ungodly and their results, but here's the godly. The blessed man, verse 1, he walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor does he stand in the path of sinners, nor does he sit in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. Wow. I mean, what a contrast, right? I mean, what a difference. And he begins by saying some things that the blessed man does not do, right? He begins by saying he does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. Now, when we think about this, we look to this word counsel here and we look to the word ungodly. Counsel means wisdom. You know what wisdom is? Wisdom is telling you how to do something, right? Saying, I have this knowledge and I want to teach you how to do the same thing. So he's saying those who know God do not walk in the wisdom of the ungodly. The word ungodly here is the Hebrew word that means loose or out of joint. Kind of like for us older folks that get up right away and you realize that your knee's not quite ready yet, right? And you go to step on it and it feels like it's just kind of out of joint. You're like, whoa, man, what's wrong with that? And then, and then all of a sudden you realize that all your joints begin like that, right? And they just begin out of joint and they're not set in the right place or you don't have everything together when you're ready to go. Then all of a sudden you realize you're walking shaky and you're out of joint. 
The same word here means to out of joint with God or in other words, doesn't take God seriously. So what he's saying is you should not hear from people or let them counsel you or give you wisdom of people who do not take God seriously. Like for people who have the wisdom of this world, you should not walk in the counsel of those who have this wisdom of the world because they don't take God seriously in your life. You say, well, what does that look like? Well, if you want to have a great marriage, don't take wisdom from people of the world because the marriage that God has planned for you is different than the marriage the world has planned for you. And if you want to be a great husband or a great wife, you don't listen to the counsel of this world. He's saying, don't listen to people who's going to give you that type of counsel. And then he says, do not, uh, not only walk not in the counsel of the ungodly, but do not stand in the path of sinners. You see, when you stand in the path of sinners, it means you're in the place where they sin. Sin means to miss the mark. So you don't listen to them and get wisdom from them, but you also don't stay in the places that they stay in. You don't, you don't live or you don't stand where they are because when the path of that sinners, all of a sudden you realize that some of that stuff's going to come off on you. When I was uh, younger, I used to love to go to watch the, the races. And uh, Roger Sr. used to race, and Roger Jr. used to race, and we'd go out to the raceway. And so as you were out there on the racetrack there, uh, these cars would go up and down this racetrack. And before they would go on the racetrack, they'd do the burnout, right? You guys love a good burnout, right? Also, Chief Lee doesn't look like good burnouts. But anyways, uh, those who like to burn out every once in a while, uh, you like to burn out, and all of a sudden you see the tires burn, and you see the smoke going. Well, every time they would get up there to race, they would burn out, and they would get the tires hot, so it would, it would stick to the track. And what you don't realize is when you leave that place, all of a sudden you look, when you get home in the mirror, you look, man, I got some black freckles all over me, you know? And look, it's all over my arms, it's all over my clothes, And while you're there, you don't even realize that it puts all that hot rubber up in the air and it's settling down on top of you. Next thing you know, it's on your arms, it's on your clothes, it's all over your face. And you realize just being there, why it happened, all of a sudden you got these speckles all over you and you got to clean yourself off. It's the same purpose here. He's saying you don't even want to be around their sinful behavior because it gets all over you. And all of a sudden you're listening to them and you're there when it happens, but then inevitably it happens The third part, it says, do not sit in the seat of the scoffers. This is where you begin to justify it, right? You begin to say, hey, I know more than God. Who is it for he to tell me that I shouldn't be here? Because I should cast this off. It's just too repressive. It's it's something that shouldn't be. I'm smarter than God, and I know what's best for my life. And you hear people say that. Hey, I know that God says this about marriage, but this is the way we're going to do it. Hey, I know this is what God says about parenting our children, but this is the way we're going to do it. Hey, I know what God says about serving, but this is the way we're going to do it. And when you go to do it your own way or in the ways of the world, guess what? You start down that path. And I also would like to point out here when you think about this, just the progression of this. It begins with a walk, then it goes to a stand, and then it goes to a sit. You see that? You're walking, you're standing, and then you're sitting. Also, look at the progression of the sin. It's wicked, sinners, and then scoffers. Also, look at the understanding of what you go through. Counsel, path, and then a seat. You see the progression, right? I mean, no one comes to you and says, hey, I want to ruin your marriage. Listen to what I'm going to tell you. Like, that would be so obvious. And, and the devil packages it, and the world packages a way where he doesn't say, hey, let me, let me teach you how to raise your children so that they're going to reject God, and they're not going to live for the Lord in their life anymore. Let me teach you how to do that. Okay, sign me up for that one, right? No. No one's going to tell you, hey, let's walk down this path so you become a drug addict or you become someone who's not like this way. It always begins with just some little way and it gets a little, it gets a little start in you and we got to be on guard for that all the time. And in our life, we got to be constantly looking in the Old Testament. 
there's a story of Abraham and Lot. Abraham had a nephew named Lot, and Lot would follow after Abraham. And Abraham said, wherever I go and the blessings I have, I'll, I'll have for you. And you can be a part of these things. And so Abraham and Lot got together and Abraham would pick the way and Abraham would say what God would say and Abraham would tell him what, what God was doing in their life and he would guide the way. But one day, Lot came to Abraham and said, hey, I don't like to do it your way. I want to do it my way. And Abraham says, okay, if you want to do it your way, fair enough. He said, you can choose your own path, which way you want to go. You choose which way you want to go and I'll go the opposite way. Well, you know what the Bible said? The Bible says that Lot looked up and he saw the green lands and the pastures and a city. And yet Abraham looked the other way. It was nothing but desert and and tough times and hard times. And and Lot Lot said, hey, you go that way and I'm going to go that way. Like I see the green grass and I see the city and I want to go that way. And he looked upon that. And the Bible, the next thing you read about Lot, the Bible just says one thing. It says that Lot pitched his tent towards Sodom. That's all it says. That Lot pitched his tent towards Sodom. Now, what that means is that when he set up his household and he set up his tent in which he would live in, he opened it up to a way where he can just look to the city of Sodom and he can look to the way of of the city of Sodom. And then the next time you read about it, it says that Lot was at the gates of the city talking to the people of the city. And all of a sudden now you see he just pitched his tent towards Sodom. Now you see him at the gates. And then also it says uh, later on, it says that he was in the city with his family dwelling in Sodom. See, he didn't immediately go to Sodom. He just pitched his tent towards Sodom. And then he was at the gates of Sodom. And then, of course, he was living in Sodom. And that's the way sin works. That's the way the world works. That's the way he pulls you in. That's the way he draws you in. And, And what Psalm here is saying is blessed is the man that rejects that. Like, blessed is the man who says no to those things. Like, as a husband, blessed is the husband who says no to some of those things of the world. Blessed is the parent who parents their children and says no to the things of, those, of the world. And a lot of times, I know this is tough because we look to these small things and we look at these little things and we think, oh, they're not a big deal, but the, the little things turn into bigger things. And as you let them progress through your life, you realize it's got a hold of your heart. And Psalm says, blessed is the man that rejects that. It has nothing to do with that. But on the contrary, blessed is the man, in verse 2, who walks not in the counsel of these things, and not with a sense, stands in with sinners, or sits in the path of the, uh, or sits in the seat of the scornful. But blessed is the man who does this. Look at verse two. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and his law he meditates day and night. I mean, what an interesting contrast, right? He comes now. He says, "Blessed is the man who rejects that, but yet delights in the law of the Lord." The word delight here is an interesting word. It's a word that they use for like a, a love story. It's a word in Genesis and Esther as well of a man who is interested in a woman become, becoming his husband. And so as this word progresses, you realize that this young person that is pursuing this woman, all of a sudden he rearranges his whole life and all of his priorities to do one thing, to pursue after that woman, right? Right? All of a sudden, he's so busy and his schedule's so full that he can't do nothing. But when he meets this woman, guess what happens? All of a sudden, his schedule is clear. And all of a sudden, he has no money, but all of a sudden, he's buying a ring. And all of a sudden, he's buying all these other things, right? And he's beginning to pursue this woman. He finds this delight in this woman, not because he has to, but because he wants to. Because it's something he desires more than the things of the world. I've said this story before, and it's so true. I had friends when I was in, uh, got out of school, and I was in, uh, after I got out of college, and we had a good time. We would go out to dinner, and we'd go out uh, up to the gym. 
We'd make our trips to Walmart. That's always the cool thing to do, right? We'd drive the truck up and down State Road 13, had my little PA horn, you know, my whip antenna, almost like Tanner's truck as well, right? But anyways, calling back and forth, doing, doing back and forth. All of a sudden, uh, all of a sudden, I met this girl named Erin from Hilliard, and I looked down and said, are you from Alabama? <laughs> like, what a, what a pickup line, right? I mean, I know, it's such a romantic guy. Uh, and next thing you know, all of a sudden, I got to talking to her, and all of a sudden, I realized, hey, this is the, this is the person God has for me in my life. And all of a sudden, uh, she says, can you, go, can you come uh, meet my parents? Can you come go out to dinner? Can you do this? Can you do that? And all of a sudden, all the stuff I had playing my friends, and, and obviously going to the gym stopped as well, right? So all of a sudden, I didn't have no time for the gym. Didn't have no more time for this. And all of a sudden, I was, I was selling my car. My, I had to sell my Mustang to, to buy her a ring. I always tell my kids, you want to see my Mustang? It's right there on your mom's finger right there, right? I mean, it's right there. But you know what? I didn't have to do those things. You know what? I wanted to do those things. Like, I didn't want to hang out with my buddies no more. I didn't want to go do all those other things. I didn't want to spend my money on myself. I had someone now that I loved and I delighted in. And I knew that would bring a a joy and peace and, and all these things into my life that God had planned for me. And it was a delight. It wasn't a punishment. It was a delight. That's what he's saying about God's Word here. When you see the law of the Lord, you realize God is not trying to punish you. He wants you to delight in that because He's going to give you the best life you could ever live. And the world says, no, it's going to keep you from that. But the Bible says, no, this is the best life for you. This will be the best life for you now, and it's going to be the best life for you in the future, and you should delight in that. It's not, hey, I have to read the Bible a chapter a day keeps the evil away, right? No, it's not, hey, I got to hear what God's Word says, and He's, and he's oppressing me, and He's putting me down, and He makes me feel bad, and I don't want to hear it. No, it, it's that you delight in it because you want to know its wisdom because you know the fruit that comes from that. That's what you need in your life. And listen, I'm not saying every time you come to God's Word, it's going to tell you what you want to hear. It's going to tell you what you need to hear. You know, my dad, I love my dad, and my dad is the biggest cheerleader, and he'll tell you, and he'll be happy and, and cheer you on, but yet, when, the, when you do something wrong, he'll be the first one to tell you, you're wrong. Like, that's not right. And as a teenager, I didn't always like to hear those things. And even as a young man or a young married man, I didn't always want to hear that, but you know what? I needed to hear that. And I realized in my life that I was a loving correction from my dad that, that brought peaceable fruit in my life. It's the same way with God's Word. It's not always what you want to hear, but sometimes it's what we need to hear, and, but we can still take delight in that. And listen, for us as Christians and for us who want to pursue the Lord, sometimes we're going to hear things from God's Word we don't like, and that's a good thing. And we should take it and we should put it in our life, not despise it and not push it away. Let me tell you, you want to know... Uh, if you are walking the course of this world, it's when you get upset or you get mad when God's word convicts you over sin in your life. That's a, that's a sure sign. And so when God's word convicts us, it should make us delight in that and say, hey, this is God's word for me and I'm out of step. I'm out of joint. I'm listening to people I shouldn't be listening to. I'm in places where I shouldn't be or I'm sitting with people I shouldn't be sitting with. Uh, but God's word is a delight to me and it brings me out of those things in my life. And I could tell you, I'm so glad that God doesn't answer all our prayers in our life, right? And He doesn't give us all our desires sometimes because sometimes our desires are terrible. Sometimes our prayers are, are terrible. You know, I think about, you know, just that good uh, theological song from Garth Brooks, you know, thank God for unanswered prayers, you know? And that was a joke, by the way. <laughs> 
and he talks about going and see with his wife, and he meets this lady that he thought that he thought was the love of his life, and he realized, you know what? I thank God for unanswered prayers. You know, that's the way I feel like when I get on Facebook sometimes. I'm thinking, oh Lord, thank God for unanswered prayers, because look at that woman; she's crazy. <laughs> like I'm glad I'm not married to her. And, and even in your life, sometimes as a kid or a child, you you want to pursue these things, and you realize, hey, God wasn't God wasn't punishing me. Even as a child, sometimes even with as parenting your child. You realize that you're going to do things sometimes or tell them things they don't like, but it's not that you do it because you want to make them be happy. You want to make them be holy, right? You want them to pursue God because you know the conclusion of pursuing the things of the world. And when you pursue the things of God, there's this real peace to know that you are pursuing and delighting yourself in the law of the Lord. And we could talk a lot about God's word. We could talk about how true it is. We could talk about how right it is. But we don't have time for that because you're not listening fast enough, all right? But if you get on the rest of this, he says that he shall, uh, uh, the result from this of, I'm sorry, back up. Second part of chapter two, he says not only he delights in the law, but he, in his law, he meditates day and night. The word meditates here is interesting because it's something we don't do in our world today. We got so many things happening in our life, right? I mean, you go from one thing to the next thing and the next thing, the next thing. Like most likely, most of you are thinking of something else you got to do today. And not only today, you got to get that done so you can get to tomorrow and tomorrow, the next day, the next day. And we don't, we don't, a lot of times we don't slow down, we don't meditate because in the car we got our radio on, or at home we got the TV on, or we got a computer on, we got the iPad, and I'm guilty of this as well. I sit there sometimes, I got a computer and I got my phone and I got the TV on, I'm thinking, how in the world am I listening to God through all this, you know? Like you just got all this stuff coming, it's all the time. But here's an interesting word when he talks about meditate, he's talking about chewing on it. He's talking about, he's talking about uh, reconsidering it in your heart over and over and over again. I mean, it's like a picture of a cow that chews cud. You know, when, you, when a cow chooses, chews cud, it's got like, I don't know, what, 27 stomachs or something like that? So I think I'm part cow, by the way. I got, I got a whole lot of stomachs that I, I love to eat and chew things up, right? But as a cow chews it up and its digestive processes, he takes and chews it for a while, he swallows it, and then he throws it back up. And choose it a little bit more. If you've ever been by a cow field, you realize they're always chewing and chewing and chewing. You know why? They're going through stages of, of their stomach. And that's what he's telling us about God's word here. You should take that thing and everything that comes into your life, you should chew it up and put it in your heart and keep thinking about it and keep doing it. It's like putting the lenses of something on in your life that changes the way that you see things. It's almost like having glasses. You know, when you go around, you, you can't see things and it's blurry and you can't, you can't understand or you don't have the vision for it, but you put a pair of glasses on, all of a sudden you can see things. But if you're like me, all of a sudden you forget your glasses, you lose your glasses, what happens? All of a sudden you can't see straight anymore, right? And all of a sudden you're looking for things, you don't quite see them the right way anymore. This is what he's saying about God's word. These are your glasses, and you put them on and you can see straight through all these things. And God's word is like you meditate on it and everything that comes in your marriage and everything for parenting, everything through this world, it comes through the lens of God's word, the Bible. That's the way we should use it. And that's what he's saying here. This is the person that delights in it. This is the person that meditates on it. And what's the result? Look at verse three. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. That, who's, that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. I mean, what a beautiful picture, right? I mean, you think about a tree. You know, it's got a root system, and it's got a big trunk, and it's got a lot of leaves on it. It's, it's, it's heavy. It's something that is of value. It's something that's been there for a long time, right? I mean, something that will stand the test of time. You ever see these big oak trees around here and you realize, man, how many years have that thing been through here? And how many storms have that thing been through? And how many things that, have you ever looked at someone's life and just say, wow, they're like a tree. I mean, you can see God has worked in their life. 
You know, one of the greatest delights that I have is when someone passes away that's lived their whole life for God and they're like that tree that was planted by the water and you could see the fruit of God's, uh, of God's goodness in their life. And you could talk about the marriage they had. You could talk about the children that they had. And you could talk about how they built their life on God. It's like a tree. I mean, you'll look at them and you say, man, that's the way I want my life to be. I don't want to be like a little tumbleweed. I don't want to be like a little bush or something that's going to come along. It's going to get plucked away. Man, I want my life to have weight to it. I want my life to have a meaning and a purpose. And when people look at my life, they say, wow, that's a life lived for God. And look at the plan and look at the purpose he has. That's like a tree planted by the water. And it brings forth this fruit. It has a great peaceable fruit of righteousness in his life. Look what he did in his work. Look what she did in her home. And look what she did with her family. Look what she did with her life. I mean, that's a life well lived. Look at the fruit that's come from that. And God has blessed that. Look at the lives she's touched in her children and her grandchildren. Look at the life that he's touched at his workplace. Look at the lives that he's touched in his family. I mean, it's brought forth its fruit in its season. And whether he's young or he's old, or old he's seen this, this fruit that's in his life that God has used him from, from, from an early age all the way through his whole life. And even though he is facing death, his leaf does not wither. You know why? Because when you live for God, it, it, it even outlasts you. That you leave behind things in your family and your kids and your life that's not of this world that's transitory. Listen, you can leave behind all the money you want, all the possessions you want, and all the material things you want, but eventually all those things are going to perish. But when you leave behind righteousness, you leave behind a life well lived for God, and you leave behind uh, what he's talking about here, living for the Lord, your leaf never withers. It's something that is lasting. It's something that uh, leaves a legacy. And through that, the greatest part of this is he says at the end, whatever you shall do shall prosper. I mean, prosper means to make gains or to, to have the prosperity in your life. Now, this is not Ted Osteen telling you that if you live this life, you're going to be rich, right? Because I'm going to tell you, if I'm Ted Osteen, you're going to get a Mercedes or a nice car, a nice house, and you're going to walk out of here and get in your, you know, your, your Buick or your you know, Yugo or whatever, and you're going to go home and you're going to say, my life is not like that, Pastor Osteen. So I'm going to say, well, you just got to pray more, try harder, right? But let me tell you, there's prosperity in God's word that goes far beyond material possessions. I could tell you a life lived for God has more value than a life lived for this world that has all the possessions you could ever imagine. And when he talks about prosperity here, he doesn't say you'll have the nicest car or the biggest house or anything. It's talking about this soul prosperity. It's talking about what we began with. It's talking about being a truly blessed person before God. It's talking about being able to enjoy those things so much that you're happy in your life. You know that you're in God's hands and you know that whatever comes in your life, it's going to prosper your life. And it could be good things. It could be bad things. But the Lord knows the way of the righteous. You see that at the very end of this. And you know this comes through God's hands and you know that it's going to prosper. And you know that God is continually at work in your life. And when you look to your marriage and you look to your family, you look to your career, you can say, I did it for God and I live for Him and I have this peaceable fruit of righteousness in my life and everything that God has brought in my life has prospered. Man, what a, what a testimony. I mean, when you look at the results of this, it's a no-brainer, right? You know, I, when I was reading this, I was reminded of when my kids were a little and we would used to go to the fair all the time. I've told this story before, but I'm going to tell it again because probably you wasn't listening or you might have been asleep. Those are only two options as well. Or you heard it and you liked it, you want to hear it again, okay? Maybe that's the one it was. 
But when I go to the fair, when we first started out, they were younger. The first time I went there, I thought, man, the kids would see all these big prizes. And things. Dad, Dad, that's the one that I want, you know. And so I would spend about 10 bucks trying to hit the little darts on the balloons, you know, or trying to get the little softball and the things, you know. And they're like, you do this, you win a, you win a stuffed animal, you know. Well, after 15 or $20, they didn't tell you what stuffed animal you win. So once you finally figured out how to win it, they'd say, all right, here's your stuffed animal. They pull out this little bitty thing like this, you know. The kid was like, I don't want that one. I want that one. And the guy would say, hey, you turn that in and you can get that stuffed animal. So you go through the process. They pull that one out and pull like a medium-sized one out, right? So now you're $50 in. You got this little bitty stuffed animal. Like, I don't want that one. I want that one, you know? So $100 in, you're trading that medium one in for a big one, you know? And you're like, all right, I did it. I'm dad of the year. You know what I mean? They're carrying around this big old, uh, this big old stuffed animal. And you get to the car. Next thing you know, they're getting fussing and fighting with one another. And they rip the arm off. And all the stuffing goes everywhere in your car, right? And all of a sudden, they're crying on the way home. They're saying, Dad, it's a ripoff. They ripped us off, you know? You're like, they did. That was $100 for that piece of junk, you know? <laughs> like, I'm going to go back there and punch that guy in the face, right? He ripped me off. Like, he, he sold me on something that wasn't even worth it. And you just feel like that drip of being ripped off. Like, man, I got scammed, you know? I got ripped off. Like, it wasn't what they said it was. Listen, that's the way the world is. It puts up this picture like, hey, this is a great time and you can have a, your best life and you can do this and you can do that and don't worry about God and don't worry about His Word and do whatever you want to do and, and, and do this in your marriage and do this with your children and do this with your career. And everything's going to come. You're going to have big houses and nice cars and all these things, but then you get to the end of your life and you begin to think about the things that really matter and you go, you know what? I've been scammed. I've been ripped off. Because this didn't lead to a peaceable marriage. This didn't lead to the things of my family, my home that I thought it would. And before you know it, you've been scammed. And what Psalm 1 says is pull back those veils and realize that living for God is not a scam. I mean, when you get done living a life for the Lord, not only will you have the best life in the future, you can have the best life now. That whatever comes in your life, you can put that smile on your face. You can poke your lip out to know that God is in full control of your life. And that He has blessed you with a marriage and He's blessed you with a nice things and He's blessed you with the, where you live and what you do. And it's all because of His hand. And when you trust in Him and you pursue His Word in your life and you try to apply His principles in your life, even everything that comes into your life, He says, that kind of person prospers. And the Lord knows the way of that kind of person. And so as we look to this, the choice is clear. Don't be scammed by the world. Don't get to the end of it and realize, man, you've fallen for a lie. Man, live for the Lord and know it's not the easy way. And know that it's not going to be everything you always want to hear. Know that it's not going to be the way of this world, but know it's going to be worth it. And it's going to be worth it now, and it's going to be worth it in the future, and you can be like that tree, planted by that water, and everything in your life has leaves and it's season and you've seen whether you're young or you're old. And man, what a testimony. God working in your life as you're young. God working in your life when you're older. And God working in your life as you're through your kids and your grandkids to sit back and have that little smile on your face and say, blessed is the man because of how good God really is for those who pursue his will. Let's pray together this morning.